The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. It's rivalry week in college football. The last weekend of regular season action or full regular season action, I guess, is the best way to put it. There's still that Army-Navy game, conference championship games the week prior, but Thanksgiving brings with it the last full weekend of college football action and the rivalry games across the country. This is Between the Hashes for Tony Pauline. I'm Cam Melder. Welcome in. Tony, how we doing? Okay, getting a little bit excited. Uh, Michigan-Ohio State, which is going to be a big game. I mean, a meaningful game. We'll see if Harbaugh is able to get the, you know, get that uh, albatross off of him. Uh, and, of course, looking forward to Thanksgiving, as I hope uh, most of our watchers and listeners are. Yeah, the, the holidays take a little bit bigger of, a, of an importance this year. Most families couldn't get together last year. We can all get together this year in some capacity, at least. So it's going to be enjoyable. We're hosting my mom and brother uh, for the holidays. First time in our new house. So we're excited for that. Uh, be a lot of fun, a lot of busy action going on for both children over here. So going to be fun. Let's uh, let's start out before looking forward. Obviously, we always got to look back. We discussed mm. a couple of maybe off mainstream games in our preview last week. Yes, best, best way to say it. Florida A&M, Bethune-Cookman, the Florida Classic. If you tuned in, you saw something that we probably warned you about or at least told you to watch. Marquise Bell with a great performance. FAMU gets the victory 46-21 to over BCC, or I guess just Bethune-Cookman BC now. But uh, what did we take away from watching this game? You also saw a terrific performance from the other player, that the other NFL prospect that I pointed out, tight end Kamari Everett, who was uh, – my small school riser about two weeks ago, six receptions, 64 yards, two TDs. If you watch the game, either in the afternoon or the replay during the evening, you saw what I, what I said about, uh, about Everett. Uh, he's an athletic 275 pound tight end that they uh, line up on the, uh, on the flat, on the uh, flanks on occasion. He's a terrific pass catcher. He's a terrific blocker plays to one speed. He's probably the kind of guy that's going to time and plays in the high four sevens, but Really isn't getting too much talk in the scouting community. Uh, I would expect that's going to change. Has some issues from his Louisville days. They're going to have to be inspected. And like you said, Marquis Bell, I mean, seven tackles, one INT. He's a terrific safety. He goes sideline to sideline. He's fast. He's explosive. He's fierce. Also not the biggest guy in the world. A couple times he tried to take Everett down and Everett ran through his tackles. Um, But a a good performance. One other guy I had to mention, uh, watching Florida A&M this year, Antoine Collier finished with four tackles and broke up a pass. Uh, he's a guy who played Central Florida the prior four years. In fact, I had a scouting report on him for the 2021 draft. He's going to be in the 2022 draft. I don't know that he's selected, but uh, you know, a guy who is a legitimate next-level prospect as either a zone or strong type safety. He's played well uh, in the shadow of Marquise Bell all year at Florida Atlanta, uh, Florida A&M. That was he was part of that UCF secondary back in 2019 that had such high hopes and in, into the COVID season and Tay Gowan those I mean him and Collier and, and Gowan the UCF secondary was this is after Mike Hughes I mean UCF's been producing dudes that uh, more sort of fly to the radar Brandon Moore who Brandon. Uh, had a devastating knee injury transferred to Florida State and left the program right before where the season began yeah, yeah a lot of uh, secondary guys coming out of the the great Central Florida area. That's where that game was played, Florida A&M at BC as well, as always. Um, all right, so the next one, completely across the country. Another rivalry game, Big Sky Country, Montana versus Montana State. I would probably call this one a defensive slugfest, watching what I was able to watch of this one afterwards. Uh, what did we take away from Montana defeating Montana State 29-10? to 
Yeah, and the defensive player that I highlighted, uh, Troy Anderson, had a terrific game. Ten tackles, one sack, intercepted a pass. You saw the fact that he is a three-down defender. He goes sideline to sideline. He's big, he's physical, but he's also athletic. I would expect him to get an invite, if not to the Senior Bowl, to the Shrine game, if he hasn't already gotten it. I may be behind the times on that one, but he is a guy that scouts really like. Also, I was pretty impressed with Dylan Cook. I've been impressed with him, the attack, offensive tackle from uh, Montana. He's a guy who I think can slide into the late rounds of the draft. I, uh, I, again, I was able to see very little of that one overall. I was able to see a little bit more than I thought I was going to of the Valdosta State versus West mm-hmm. Florida game. You got to go down the d- divisions there from FCS down to Division Two. West Florida defeating Valdosta State, high scoring game, 61 to 42. A couple of crazy individual stat lines there. If you go look at that box score of that game, if you want a box score scout at Ivory Durham, uh, Le- Leondre Gallimore. I'm going to, I'll do my best there. I'll let you go as well with that one. Both Valdosta State quarterback receiver having ridiculous stat lines. West Florida, though, sort of running all over them as but as, at will. Bunch of points scored. What were the takeaways? I know one of them was your riser, I believe, this week. Yeah, I thought Valdosta State would keep it closer than it was. But Leandre Gallimore, I mean, the receiver, yeah. wrote about him this week. We talked about him last week. I mean, he is a legitimate deep threat. Nine receptions, 198 yards, three touchdowns. He's a guy who times in the four threes and plays that fast, if not faster. And as I said, my risers and sliders released yesterday at Pro Football Network. He's not just a track on the football field. He's a good receiver, catches the ball with his hands, effortlessly, effortlessly makes the deep reception at full speed, looks the ball in. Size is an issue, and, and height especially. He only goes about five foot nine. There's only a certain few things you can do with him. Line him up in the slot, line him back off the line of scrimmage, as I mentioned last week, but you know, Gallimore is a guy who was getting street free agent type grades coming into the season. I never understood it. You watch this guy play. He is a legitimate deep threat who's just going to have to learn an NFL game and, and take the step up in competition. But he could absolutely he's got all the tools to play on Sunday. This And to me, it's those those when you look at these kinds of games, you want to see the player with these massive stat lines. And then you have some of people saying, well, he's playing against West Florida. He should have that. Well, yeah, obviously he should. And that's what you're looking for. But a player like this should dominate every game and every outing, essentially these big-time matchups against West Florida, too. So he's doing that. He's proving what he needs to prove. I hope we get to see him in some sort of uh, an off-season game, an all-star game, a shrine, a senior, NFLPA, wherever he goes, wherever he lands, hopefully we see him not just you know in Bal- at Valdosta State in the playoffs here. So I liked it. I got the taste of watching some other football and then discussing football. I'm always watching football. There's – six monitors in my office and there's always football going on. So I'm happy to discuss the, these other games we got to discuss this past week, but let's flip gears. I want to change gears. The, obviously the big topic here of the discussion, the end of the year awards are coming up. The Davey O'Brien award, the Maxwell award, the Heisman. It's a very quarterback centric race for the end of the year awards here. One of the guy's names, Kenny Pickett's going to be out there. Kenny Pickett also rising to fame for the quarterback one race for the 2022 NFL draft. But we have some insight into perhaps not any quarterback specific, but the quarterback position overall from NFL executives, NFL war rooms. What are we, uh, what are we hearing? What the, what's the latest, I guess. Well, I'm going to correct you on that. I do have some, some specific on specific names. The overriding theme is this. It's not a good quarterback class. I, I mean, no quarterback right now. Let me just preface it by saying I talked to a bunch of people in the league who make decisions, general managers, heads of, scout, heads of scouting departments, things like that. And we just, you know, passed opinions back and forth. And I said, 
obviously I was not, ha- I didn't like the quarterback class. I didn't have a quarterback with a first round grade. Everyone I talked to concurred. They said, there's not a quarterback on their boards right now that has a first round grade. They do think two to three quarterbacks could end up in the first round based on the law of averages and based on the fact uh, that, the, that there's such a high need for the position. But as one guy said to me, he goes, you know what? He goes, Kenny Pickett could be the first quarterback drafted. Kenny Pickett could be a first round quarterback, could be a first round selection. But Kenny Pickett's got a third round grade on our board. He said, he said and that, that's what you're going to see throughout the position. They like Kenny Pickett. They like Matt Corral, although they're concerned about his transition into an NFL-style offense. Again, someone with the second-round grade, who they think could go first round. They like Carson Strong. Would not give me a uh, round grade or round prediction on Carson Strong. I get the idea <clears throat> that there is concern. If not concern, there's interest, and they're going to inquire about that knee injury that we talked about here back in October, or uh, the concern about the knee injury. I did speak with one NFL personnel per- person who uh, told me, he said, listen, when it comes to Carson Strong, there's one or three three different scenarios. He goes, it could be a situation where he needs cadaver surgery, where they take a ligament from a cadaver, put it in his knee, and that's a year-long rehab. He said it could be a situation where it's bone-on-bone, which is going to reduce his NFL career. He goes, but it could also be a situation where there's nothing wrong. He said, you know, he could be, he could be completely fine. Everybody is speculating and guessing at this point in time. And even with that, you know, it differs from team to team. Each team doesn't have the same grade on the, on the same player. You, you know, you go back to uh, Leighton Vanderush. I mean, there were some teams that flagged Leighton Vanderush with neck issues, but the Dallas Cowboys liked him. And when Leighton Vanderush is healthy, he's a real good player. So that's the way it goes. You may have some teams that flag uh, Carson Strong, which means they'll give him a round or two uh, penalty because of the knee if it's an issue. Some teams may take him off the board. Some teams may say he's perfectly fine. And if he's there when we select in round one, we're going to take him. Uh, Jaden Daniels, I'm told, third to fifth round uh, because of the fact that, uh, you know, he just hasn't developed as a passer. I still hear that Jaden Daniels is at least leaning towards entering the draft. There's some concern there, as we spoke about before, whether or not Herm Edwards is going to keep his job. I question why. They said because of the recruiting violations. In talking with people, it seems to me the biggest loser is Sam Howell. Uh, I didn't talk to anybody who thinks that Sam Howell could be a first-round pick. They're giving him third-round grades. They think that's where, where he's going to go. As far as Malik Willis is, uh, is concerned, they like him. They like his upside, but they feel he's a ways away from being NFL ready. And the fact is he really hasn't had that great performance or great performances this year where he's carried his team on his shoulders. You know, We talked about Mekki Garner, the cornerback from Louisiana last week. Mekki Garner and Louisiana Lafayette defense handled Malik Willis this past Saturday. Garner, I believe, had three pass breakups. Percy Butler also had a good game. And I think that's the concern about Malik Willis is that, yeah, he's a good athlete. He's got all the physical tools, but he's not shown the ability to carry that offense, the Liberty offense, on his shoulders, which is really what you want to see in that sort of mid-major type of school when you have a great prospect like that. Ben Roethlisberger, as he did as a redshirt sophomore going into Columbus uh, and, and almost literally by beating Ohio State by himself, they've not seen that type of performance from Malik uh, Willis this year. Yeah, it's to me going back and circling back on all these names. Carson Strong to me seems like the the strongest lock to sort of land in the first round at this point. Obviously, the law of averages does say that there's two or three, and somebody's going to fall in love with one. It doesn't matter if it's first round or not. But Strong, as long as you do your due diligence on his knee, he's the one with the least amount of questions or issues, and seems to be could be the most ready to, to play right away. 
I've been severely disappointed in Malik Willis, not just for projection to the future, but also I thought this was a guy who they could, they were going to leave him in in the fourth quarter. They were going to, you know, a thousand yards and 3000 yards passing a thousand yards rushing was sort of the benchmark of where I thought he could get not elevating the team around him. And Sam Howell, the same thing. He loses the four NFL draft picks basically on his, his two receivers and two running backs. And all of a sudden it took them five, six, seven, eight games to start actually producing on offense. So to me, disappointing. I'm sure I'm not the only person that is disappointed in the quarterback class. So as good as Kenny Pickett has been, it overall, he's not enough to sort of overweigh the, the disappointment from this class overall. Yeah, two last points that I forgot to make. You know, Kenny Pickett, as I said, right now, uh, one uh, decision maker told me, could be a first-round pick, could be the first quarterback taken. Right now he's got a third-round grade. That could change if Kenny Pickett goes to the Senior Bowl and has a knockout week of practices, shows he can throw all the NFL passes with speed, can get the ball downfield accurately. That can change. The other interesting thing that I heard is <clears throat> I continue to hear, you know, and it was clarified, I believe, last week, Carson Strong's entering the draft. He was, as a junior, he was announced with the other seniors at Senior Day at Nevada. I'm told that he's also eligible for the Senior Bowl. So there's a chance that Carson Strong, once he makes his announcement, we could see him in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. That'd be great. Nagy did say five of the top six quarterbacks he is, he's presuming to be there. So take of that what you will, whoever that may be. We we know Bailey Zapp is already there from Western Kentucky, the guy who's could set and break Joe Burrow's touchdown record in the regular season for touchdown passes. So uh, it's going to be quite the quarterback show. And, of course, this year it's not like having a Joe Burrow, a Baker Mayfield, a Trevor Lawrence there. But at least we're going to have some fun with uh, – a wide open quarterback one race. So exciting stuff coming ahead as draft season for everybody else heats up. We've been in the heat of draft season since May 1st of this year as well. So it's fun to get back into it and have the, uh, the commoners come around to our, our way of life. So let's uh, let's keep the NFL draft news mantra theme here going on. It's not only is it so it's in college football, it's flight tracking season where you're watching where the universities are taking flights to go meet with head coaching openings. We just saw the University of Florida brass have yeah. their entire planes tracked to Louisiana Lafayette. Is it Billy Napier going down to Florida? Would that be a huge mistake for LSU to let Napier leave the state of Louisiana and go to their rival Florida? Yes, it would be. But flight tracking season, it's also declaration tracking season. So we are watching the early entrance to the NFL draft. So let's go through a couple of them. We have some news and then a couple of updates as well. But news first, we'll go to the farm. Stanford tackle Walter Rouse. Uh, Stanford underclassmen, especially Stanford offensive linemen who are underclassmen entering the draft uh, is basically par for the course. It's, it's, not, it's the rule rather than the exception to the rule. And I'm told Walter Rouse, their starting left tackle of the past couple of years, a player who I graded as a six-round choice coming into the season. I don't want to say he's leaning towards it. <clears throat> But he is definitely thinking about it. He's speaking with agents. So there's a good chance that Walter Rouse uh, could enter the draft. <clears throat> I've not done a lot of film work on him this year, but off the 2020 film, I had him as a six-round pick. Yeah, they had Foster Serial, Walker Little, <laughs> Walter Rouse's tackle room of the past two, three years has been very good for college tackles, at least. David Shaw, he doesn't play him early, doesn't allow early enrollees, but then they certainly leave early. So it's uh, you're you're – collegiate career is shortened if you're an offensive tackle going to Stanford. So uh, let's go back Midwest now, Iowa. We had some, we thought we were trying to talk about him last week. We're talking about him this week though. Dane Belton, the safety uh, defensive back from Iowa. Very, very good chance. He enters the draft. Uh, some people tell me they think he's gone taking agent meetings. 
giving indications that he's going to leave uh, after the season. He's my highest rated uh, Iowa Hawkeye defender coming into the season. I had a fifth round grade on him. He's your typical Iowa safety. Not the most athletic guy in the world, but explosive, physical, smart, great, uh, good instincts, does a great job diagnosing uh, plays. More of a strong safety, zone safety type who I think could help out on special teams. I like Dane Belton. If he enters a draft, I think his draft positioning is really going to come down to how fast he runs the 40. I don't know that he's going to be all that fast. But again, Dane Belton, Iowa, giving signals and giving the indication that he's going to enter the draft after the season. Probably not the only Iowa defender we'll talk about uh, all the way up until April. Not the only Iowa player, maybe perhaps as well. Uh, staying in the Big Ten, disappointing season after, uh, you know, high-scoring, high-flying offensive uh, output from Maryland in the beginning of the stages of the inferior schedule that they had. Maryland came back down to earth, but Nick Cross, the defensive back, this is a guy who, if we want to talk about running, is a track All-American, I believe, ran track of Maryland too. So we don't have to worry about Nick Cross running fast, but what are we hearing from Nick Cross? Yeah, also, at least he's probing entering the draft. <clears throat> there are some people feel he should. He could be a second-day pick. I don't know. I haven't done a lot of film work on him just yet. Uh, I, I think Nick Cross is kind of in the crosshairs, if you will. I mean, Maryland seems like a program that's going nowhere. What are the advantages of going back as opposed to the disadvantages of entering the draft? Needs, needs work on his game from what I've seen. As you said, a real good athlete. But Nick Cross, the defensive back from Maryland, is at least considering it. I'm not going to say it's like Dane Belton where he's giving indica indications that he's going to enter the draft. I think absolutely is uh, giving serious consideration to entering the draft. Yeah, they've sort of fallen into obscurity there in the Big Ten. They looked like they were going to be able to put up some points. They came back down to earth against Dane Belton in Iowa when the other tongue by Loa threw multiple interceptions, and uh, they've not been right ever since. Uh, it, you're you're right. They're like a stagnant program in the Big Ten. They can recruit very well. Loxley can do his thing over there, but they haven't been able to develop these guys into much more than a great recruiting class. On the college level, anyway. Yeah. So then let's uh, – a team that is in Big Ten country but plays in the Big 12, mm. Iowa State, hard-fought loss this past weekend. Brees Hall and Will McDonald, the edge defender. Everybody knows Brees Hall. Probably should know Will McDonald as well, but we have news on the couple of Cyclones. Yeah, I'm told Brees Hall is gone for the draft. No surprise here. No surprise. Uh, I've been told he's already uh, chosen representation. He's an outstanding back. People talk about Kenneth Walker and other backs. I mean, Bruce, Brees Hall is my number one back. He's my most complete back. He's a guy who is a terrific ball carrier on the inside as well as around the corner. Outstanding pass catcher. Does the job as a blocker. Just a real Najee Harris type of three down back for the next level, which is why he's my number one back in second round pick. All indications are, from what I've heard, that the Brees Hall will enter the draft has basically narrowed down or whittled down who's going to represent them if he's not chosen representation. I've not heard anything definitive about Will McDonald, but the idea I'm getting over the since the past 20 hours or so is Will McDonald's very likely to enter the draft. Uh, you know, the coach there does have a way of pulling. Matt Campbell has, has a way of pulling guys back. Rock Purdy last year, Charlie Kolar. You know, is Matt Campbell going to stay? At Iowa State, you, you know he's going to be all the rage once the season's over for all the college coaching jobs and uh, and the NFL jobs. And I'm sure the Texas Longhorns are kicking themselves for not hiring him last year, although they probably couldn't get him. But getting back to Will McDaniel, uh, Will McDaniel, Will McDonald. I'm sorry, Will McDaniel. Oh, McDaniel had a form, right? Will McDonald. Uh, he is an explosive pass rusher. He is an incredible athlete. 
He's fast up the edge. He plays with great balance of body control. He can drop off the line, line of scrimmage and play in space when need be. Uh, some questions about his instincts and ability to read or diagnose plays, but he's a pure edge rusher. I have him as a day two pick. And again, the signs that I'm reading, if we're going to put the tea leaves together, is I say it's better than 50-50 right now that when Mc, Will McDonald of Iowa State enters the draft. Not as surprising. Not as surprising. Either, Either of those, those Brees Hall, Brees obviously, Hall, obviously not surprising in the slightest. We've talked we've about talked it here. About it's maybe Matt Campbell's best product from a running back position, which includes a guy, you know, Kareem Hunt and Dave Montgomery. So to be in that realm and that stratosphere and be possibly even better – both of those guys, uh, especially Kareem Hunt, for as long as he's now been doing it, it seems like. So let's update now, though, too. We've we've done a lot of these. We've done a lot of player discussions for the NFL draft. We talked quarterbacks, so it's best to start there as we update Western Michigan quarterback Caleb Ellaby. Still meeting with what, what agents. The, uh, the feeling I'm getting is he's leaning towards entering the draft. At this point in time, I don't know that it's, you know, it, it, it would be a good move. Let's go back to Malik Willis. I had high hopes for uh, for Ellaby coming into the season. And Ellaby throws some magnificent passes, but he's had some bumps in the road, and he hasn't had that great performance where he's shown the ability to basically carry the Western Michigan offense on his shoulders, which is what you want to see from a, you know, a smaller conference type of quarterback like that. Uh, I'm hearing right now grades three through five. I had him as a steady third rounder. I think I'm going to have to move off of that and move him into day three. I, I think it would be to his benefit to go back for another season. He's got great upside potential. He's just got to meet it. But I keep hearing that uh, Caleb Ellaby seems that he is leaning towards entering the draft. I've seen flashes of brilliance in, yeah. his, in his arm. But then there's also moments where he misses guys and he just sort of plays like a Mac, a mid-level Mac quarterback. And I don't, I don't like that. So – I, I would like to personally see him for another year in college. Um, that's just me being able to watch Maction and love going to Mac games in general. So that's uh, that's my stance on Caleb Ellaby. I, I like his arm. I like his talent. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Third round. We'll see. Day three. More like it. So stay in the Midwest. We'll stay in the group of five, a team who's now transcended group of five. We'll see where they finish since we are recording this prior to the college football playoff ranking show, we'll see where Cincinnati is. If they get to number four after Oregon losing this past weekend, Cincinnati tight end, Josh Wiley though. An update nice. on him. Oregon didn't lose Oregon, got pounded. It'd be a travesty. If Cincinnati is not the top four. I, uh, you know, we record, I reported a couple of weeks ago that Wiley was leaning towards entering the draft. I've heard he's come off of that. There are some people who think he's going to uh, return to Cincinnati for another season. It's kind of up in the air right now. That's the best way to put it. I think he hasn't had great production this year. You watch the 2020 film. I mean, he was a monster. He hasn't been able to produce, although he hasn't been really targeted that much. He's sort of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I mean, you're going to lose Desmond Ritter. You're going to lose Jerome Ford. Alex Pierce is gone. New quarterback. Slim down offense. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to be the man and really improve your draft stock. What happens with Luke Fickle? Is there another head coach coming in? Because you've got to assume that Fickle is probably going to get some job offers that he probably should have received the past five years. Uh, right now with Wiley, I'm told it's up in the air as to whether or not he's going to enter the draft. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I, Wiley is... This is a good tight end crop, as we've talked about, but it's not great at the top. You don't have a Kyle Pitts. Jalen Weidemeyer is a real good player, 
He's not going to be a top 10 pick like uh, Kyle Pitts was a year ago. But once you get into that mid-second, third, fourth, fifth round, it gets very crowded with a lot of good next-level tight ends. And I think uh, Wiley would be, it would be in the middle of that uh, group right there. Do scouts downgrade him because of poor production in 2021 is the question. It is. It's interesting to uh, the damned if you do aspect of it because there's so much unknown. So maybe we won't know what Wiley does, or maybe he doesn't even know what he's going to want to do until after the year is over. And that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and it's honestly I can't fault the kid at all. Honestly, I, that's I would oh. prefer that for him as his family, as him as well. So see what your head coach is going to do. See what the other quarterback after Ritter might be if you do stick around in Cincinnati too. And, uh, Never mind the fact that his team's likely going to be in the college football playoffs at least competing for a chance to win a national championship. It's true. And then you have more eyes on you there. So who knows? A lot can happen. A lot can change. It is interesting to watch the growth. I mean, we've seen Josiah DeGuerra play now with the Packers from Cincinnati, sort of that same role. Uh, So we'll see if uh, Wiley can capitalize on that or make his own, forge his own path. Stay in the Midwest now. Enough of the NFL draft. This is college football and NFL draft after all. So let's get to college football. I think – these some of these rivalry games need no introduction we're going to actually discuss what and some of these more famous rivalry games on pro football network the draft team has taken a a page out of the college football playbook and we're discussing the fsu florida rivalry going back in time to look at the apple cup uh one that needs no introduction noon on saturday ohio state michigan the game as it's called michigan having not won in over three thousand six hundred days that's 10 years worth of losses to the buckeyes the team up north, as you'd have to call them up here. All the M's around town are officially ah. blocked off in the downtown Michigan Avenue with a big block red X over it. Nice. It's a fun time to be in Columbus. It's a fun time to be around college football. But the game to me is, I mean, it's a game. They're both 10-1. and one. Obviously, a diff- little different ends of spectrum with recency bias hurting Michigan's ranking. But uh, this game means something again. It does. It means a lot for the Big Ten, but also for college football and the NFL draft. You know, it's funny because my daughter – flew home from Ohio State yesterday because she's a student there. She's a freshman, and she was sending us pictures, and she thought it was hysterical. All the M's are X'd off with tape. Even the M's at the airport. All Any word that has the letter M in it, the M is X'd off. So, uh, yeah, I mean, people are getting hyped up. I can imagine what the ticket prices are going for in Ann Arbor. I mean, like you said, I mean, this game means a lot. If Michigan wins, they move into the top four. If Ohio State wins, then they move a little bit higher. But when you look at it from an NFL prospect point of view, there are so many great matchups, but you got to look on the on the line of scrimmage. I mean, we talked about Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, the left tackle, the athletic left tackle for Ohio State, who I'm told will enter the draft. You've got uh, Dewan Jones, who is a brand-new starting right tackle, and they're going up a pair against a pair of mashers, I mean, a pair of killers uh, in Michigan, and, and Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabu, guys who are great pass rushers. Hutchinson... Probably has a little bit more of a complete game, but Ajabu is definitely much more explosive, much more sudden, uh, just, you know, flashes on the scene, plays. They both play with a violent streak, but Ajabu just kind of strikes fear in people, as does Hutchinson. The one thing I like about Hutchinson is he seems to get stronger as the game goes on, especially if you watch that Michigan State game. He was, Even though uh, Michigan State won, uh, he was better off uh, later in the game than he was early in the game. So, that matchup with Nicholas Petit-Frere and Dewan Jones going up against that terrific pass rushing duo of Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabu 
is, is going to be one for the ages, I believe, and something that scouts are going to keep a close eye on. Obviously, there's other matchups. We could talk about it for an hour, but we've been at this for well, 30 minutes right now. We've got to end this soon. The the night is darkest before the Dwand, in my opinion. That guy is a massive man. I'm so excited to watch both guys because Hutchinson wins mainly with power. And so if he gets matched, when he's matched up against Jones on the on the right side or left side of the defense defensive line, yeah, he, does he gonna be able to is he gonna be able to power past or are we gonna see some speed from Hutchinson? Ojabo has speed in spades. This guy, I mean, the spin move, speed, I mean, it's they're the best edge rushing duo in college football. And I don't think that that's in question at this point. The two top guys at their, at their positions. I mean, Petit Ferrer and Jones are up there with the best two tackles, the best bookend tackles in the country too. So just from not, it's a draft matchup, but it's also a collegiate football matchup for the ages. You have CJ Stroud, who's lit it up. You have definitely improved his game every, everywhere on yeah. this field. I mean, maybe, okay. The huge advantage is CJ Stroud versus Cade McNamara. Michigan's not really asked McNamara to do a whole lot, but even against Michigan State, he had one of his finer performances. They couldn't quite get it done. So there are matchups all over this game that are next level, that are great collegiate games, matchups. I mean, this it has it all, and it's noon. Start your Saturday off right. Digest, Continue digesting your Thanksgiving Day meal as well and, and your leftovers because uh, pick a nice place on the couch and enjoy this game because it's, uh, it's Big Ten. It should be college football at its finest. And then we move on in the day to one of the more historic matchups uh, probably doesn't have quite the luster that it usually does. Alabama versus Auburn, the Iron Bowl, Alabama having to win. They're in the SEC title game, but at their college football playoff hopes still are hinging on defeating Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Bryce Young has come on strong. This Alabama team not quite as good as it once was or yeah. even maybe once earlier this year uh, with some injuries, but they're still, I mean, they're still Alabama. Yeah, but they're, they're struggling to get to the finish line over. I mean, I had high hopes for this game, but like I said in my you know, prospect matchup article Saturday, I, I thought that Arkansas would give Alabama, you know, I thought the game was going to be a lot closer than what it was. It turned out to be. Arkansas almost won that game. I I was really looking forward to this game, but, you know, Auburn has, seems to be struggling the past couple of weeks. I mean, that, that basically collapse against Mississippi State set the wheels in motion and the wheels are going uh, downhill. Still... I mean, it's another matchup with a potentially outstanding pass rusher and Colby Wooden from Auburn against the top tackle in this year's draft, Evan, uh, Evan Neal of the left tackle from Alabama. Wooden, I reported on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like he was going to enter the draft. Hasn't had the season that people expected. You know, he's big, he's explosive, uh, like David Ajabu. Only has four sacks this year, seven tackles for loss, or seven and a half tackles for loss, seven quarterback hurries. Hasn't been as consistently productive on the high level as you would want, especially from a smaller, speedy uh, edge rusher. It's going to be a big battle for Co- uh, for Wooden. I mean, if he can get past or get around Neil, get through the inside, because he, he shows some good inside moves on occasion, I think that'll bode well for him if he, in fact, uh, intends on entering the draft. Uh, big, big uh, matchup. I think in this game, Wooden has uh, more to gain and more to lose uh, than Evan Neal does. Hope it's a good game. I don't, you know, I don't know, but uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see. A lot to gain, a lot to lose. Alabama has really nothing to gain in this. They're already in the SEC title game against Georgia next week. They have more to lose too. So that's another angle to 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 see when Saban sort of got his back up against the wall. They have to win to make sure they make the playoffs. It's a uh, it's twenty twenty three battle for uh, for quarterback one as well. We have. 
it, different games, obviously. Not talking TJ Finley or Bo Nix. I'm saying CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. If you look at all the, I looked at a couple of 2023 mock drafts, and those are the top two quarterbacks right now. So both of them putting on displays the past few weeks. They get their first taste as the starting quarterbacks in their biggest rivalry games as well. So see how they stack up against their arch rivals, their biggest nemesis. Uh, sort of an underlying thing for next year when you look at next year's growth. So that's it. It's rivalry week across college football. It's Thanksgiving week here. There's terrific matchups. There's games on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The Mountain West to be decided by Friday night as well, the title game. So there's uh, some fun scenarios there. Fresno State with a chance if they win and get a San Diego State loss. Air Force needing to win. There's a couple of chances for ties. The Mountain West race is coming down to the wire. The finalists play though Thursday and Friday. So watch the Mountain West race. That's sort of an underrated race to the finish line of the title game. So that's that. It's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, Tony. And uh, on behalf of us both, thanks for listening.